0: You're listening to the Luca's Italy podcast, with food, culture and history from the land of lasagna and Livorno. I'm Luca Marchiori and today I'll be talking about the origins of a dish which has recently been branded culinary fake news. Growing up in an Italian immigrant household in the UK, I didn't have much exposure to British cooking. My English mother had learned Italian cooking from my grandmother and my Italian father was very particular about what he ate. My English grandmother was very good at cakes and biscuits, but if I ate lunch at her house, it was mostly cheese on toast. It wasn't until I went to university and started eating in halls of residence and cooking with friends that I started to discover popular British dishes. It was at university that I first discovered British Indian cooking, Chinese food, and spaghetti bolognese, or spag bowl as it was commonly known. I remember one evening eating in halls of residence. I was presented with a plate of starchy spaghetti with a dollop of wet brown sauce of minced beef on top. There were bowls of grated cheddar cheese on the table to accompany it. One of my friends sat down next to me and exclaimed, Yummy! Spag bowl! Now, over the years, I've had some really great spag bowls, but I've never really associated it with Italian food, and it stayed firmly in the category of British food in my mind, because it doesn't exist in Italy in the same form, and at best, it's a fusion hybrid. Italians meeting spaghetti bolognese abroad have a range of reactions, ranging from mine to indignance from the Italians mad at food brigade who we talked about in the Carbonara episode a few weeks back. In fact, one of the most famous of these incidents is when no less a figure than Virginio Merola, the mayor of Bologna, Uh, the city after which the dish was named, angrily tweeted a picture of a chalkboard menu featuring spaghetti bolognese, which he saw outside the London restaurant when he was on a trip there, and labelled it as fake news. Now, as you may have gathered from my podcasts, I'm not one of the Italians mad at food brigade, and in fact I don't care what you get up to in your kitchen. You can eat spaghetti with salad cream and Stills and cheese if you like, although I probably won't be trying that one myself. As I said, I've had some really great spaghetti bolognese, but it is quite different from what Italians would eat, or at least what Italians would associate with Bologna. So spaghetti bolognese is based upon a real Italian dish called tagliatelle al ragù, which is one of the most famous dishes from Bologna, hence the bolognese appellation. In fact, in Bologna, it's called ragù, but outside Bologna, ragù alla bolognese. Now, there are as many different versions of this dish, as there are families in Bologna, but they all have broad similarities, which were collected together into an official recipe called ragù classico bolognese, and this recipe was lodged at the Italian Academy of Food by members of the Bologna Chamber of Commerce on the 17th of October 1982. Now, what this recipe is, basically, is a common version that all the restaurateurs in Bologna could agree upon in 1982, and it's a recipe which respects the city's culinary traditions and also reproduces the taste that you'd expect eating this dish in Bologna. And in Bologna today, this ragu is eaten with tagliatelle, which are long, flat strips of egg pasta, um, and are quite different both in mouthfeel but also in taste from spaghetti. Because spaghetti is not egg pasta. Spaghetti is made just with flour and water. And an Italian purist would say it's illogical that ragù bolognese is served with uh, spaghetti. Because spaghetti is not from the culinary tradition of Bologna. In fact, Bologna for many, many years has been famous for egg pasta. And so tagliatelle are part of the Bolognese tradition and so go very naturally with ragù. But as we shall see soon, and as you'd expect from previous episodes of my podcast, this hasn't always been the case. Now, both my mother and my Italian grandmother used to cook a version of ragu, which um, I ate as a child, but which I never associated with spaghetti bolognese. Um, The main reason is we used to eat this ragu with rigatoni. Now, rigatoni are pasta tubes with a wide hole, and they've got lines or ridges all the way around the outside. And in my opinion, this is the perfect pasta for eating with ragu because the ragu goes inside the holes. So when you actually eat the piece of pasta, you actually get the chunky sauce inside, which for me is is one of the most amazing things. Now, my mother did a white version of ragu, which means without tomatoes. Um, And my grandmother did both a white and a red version. And her red version was remarkably similar to the official recipe lodged in 1982 at the Italian Culinary Academy. So what are the origins and history of the real ragù alla bolognese? Well, like many things, it's unclear, Um, and the first written reference is from the 18th century. But by analogy with the history of pasta in Italy in general, and also the name, we can suppose that it dates back to the 17th century. In their excellent book on the history of pasta, Silvano Cerventi and Francoise Sabin identify three historical phases in the development of the condimento for pasta. Condimento is the word that we use for pasta sauce or what you put on the pasta. Now, the earliest phase, which began in medieval times, was to use parmesan cheese, as we saw in the last episode. And then in the Renaissance, pasta turned sweet and people started putting sugar on top of it. Now, many examples of this can be found in the opera of Bartolomeo Scappi, the 16th century cook to two popes, who I mentioned again in the last podcast. And at the end of the Renaissance and the beginning of the 17th century, people started using pasta as an accompaniment to meat dishes, which then turned into the sources for pasta. And one of the most famous examples of this, which dates from the period, is a dish called papardelle alla lepre, which is pappardelle. Is um, a name for a large flat pasta and lepre means hair. So it's large flat pasta in a hair sauce. And this is part of Tuscan cuisine. So ragu, it would seem, would naturally fall into this period of food development. Now we can get another clue from its name, ragout. Now this is an Italianized version of a French word, ragout, which is a kind of meat stew. Now, the earliest known use of the word in French to mean a meat stew, which obviously has to predate the Italian, is from 1665, which again gives us a late 17th century origin and brings us close to the first Italian reference from the 18th century. It's worth noting that there's an earlier use of the word ragu in French from 1623, in which it's clear that it means a different dish from a meat source. So in French, it has to have taken on this meaning between 1623 and 1665. While I was doing research for this podcast, I found a rather fanciful um, theory that ragù was brought back to Italy by the popes between 1309 and 1376. The seat of the papacy was not in Rome, but in the French city of Avignon, and the claim was that ragù was brought to Rome by Pope Gregory XI when he moved the papacy back to Italy. However, this predates the first recorded use of the word in French by 300 years, so obviously um, that one doesn't hold water. Now, another theory is that ragu entered Italy via Naples, which for much of its history was under French rule or influence. and This is backed up by the existence of a Neapolitan variant on ragu, which is interestingly quite similar to the British Bolognese sauce. And there's a recipe for this in Vincenzo Corrado's book, Il Cuoco Galante, which was published in 1773. But the first recipe putting it together with pasta was 100 years later. So it seems that sometime in the 17th or early 18th century, ragu reached Bologna from France, either via Naples or from some other route. Now, a few weeks ago, when we were looking at the recipe for pasta alla carbonara, we noticed that there was a historical development through from the origins of the dish to the current day, in which it went through many minor changes before it reached the so-called perfection of the modern dish. So, by analogy, one could expect that this also happened to ragu. And in fact, evidence for this can be seen in our old friend Pellegrino Artusi's book from 1891. Um, in which he includes a recipe for Maccheroni alla Bolognese. Now, Pellegrino Artusi lived in Florence, but he was from Forlì, which is in Emilia-Romagna, um, which is the same region as Bologna. And we know that he spent a lot of time in Bologna for work as a young man, and that he was very familiar with the city and very familiar with what was going on there um, on the food scene. So we can expect that this recipe from Pellegrino Artusi is very representative of macaroni alla bolognese, which was being ate in Bologna at the end of the 19th century. Now, his recipe is quite similar to the modern one. Um, It starts off with a sofrito of carrot, onion and celery, much like the modern dish. And in fact, this is also evidence for a French origin of the dish, because starting off Um, A dish with a combination of carrot, onion and celery, which in French is called mirepoix, is characteristic of the beginnings of many French dishes, especially sauces. Now then for his meat, Artuz uses freshly chopped veal and pancetta, which is a kind of bacon. And again, this is very similar to the modern recipe where they use minced beef and pancetta. So he starts off with the sofrito of vegetables, then he browns the mince. And once the mince is browned, he adds flour, which is not part of the current recipe, but is very similar to how you'd make a French stew, like uh, boeuf a boeuf à la bourguignon. You add flour at this point, which then thickens the sauce as it cooks. And Artusi then cooks the meat for at least two hours in brodo, um, which is a stock. And when it's cooked, he adds salt, pepper and nutmeg. Now, Artusi stops here and says that this is how the sauce is made, but he does mention a couple of variants and things that he likes to do. The first one is to add dried mushrooms, which obviously have been soaked in water to reconstitute them, or to add shavings of black truffle, or to add cream to make the sauce a bit more fatty and a bit more um, delicious. Now, he also talks about the pasta, which he says the Bolognese eat this sauce with. And interestingly, it's not tagliatelle. He says in Bologna, it's eaten with a pasta called denti di cavallo, which means horse's teeth. And denti di cavallo are like thin tubes of pasta with a small hole through the middle. And it's worth noting that this is not egg pasta. Denti di cavallo are like spaghetti made just with flour and water. Now, going back to the cream, a few years ago, British TV cook Mary Berry, who's famous for the Great British Bake Off, was slated publicly for producing a recipe for Bolognese in which she added milk or cream to her ragu. Now, as we can see, Mary Berry was in good company because Artusi does the same, but also milk and or cream feature, as we shall see, as part of the official recipe. So, at some point between 1891 and 1982, the current recipe was born. So, what are the differences between the current official recipe and artusi's? Well, the main differences are firstly the meat. Artusi calls for chopped veal, whereas the current recipe uses roughly minced beef. And this can come from various cuts of the cow. In fact, the recipe does um, specify four different cuts. Now, as well as cooking the meat in the broth like Artuzzi does, the current recipe adds red wine and tomatoes. And then when the ragu is almost cooked, you add milk. And if you're using the ragu to make lasagna, you add cream as well. But if you're just eating it with tagliatelle, then you don't add the cream. So, once again, we find that the sacred marriage of ragù and tagliatelle, which is so emphasised by people today, is a relatively modern invention. It would have occurred in the 20th century. And basically, it was a marriage of two of the things that Bologna was famous for, the egg pasta, which goes back centuries, and then this ragù. Now, to my mind, tagliatelle work much better with ragù than spaghetti do because spaghetti um, are so thin that the sauce tends to just fall off so it's like you're eating spaghetti and the sauce which as we've seen is what they did in the early 16th century but my favorite 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 combination is like i said the rigatoni and i don't think this is just because that's what i had as a kid i think it's because it is a very very good combination and interestingly the rigatoni are not dissimilar to the denti di cavallo, which were used in Bologna until the 20th century. So what about spaghetti bolognese? How did that get started? Well, again, the origins are unclear, but I suspect that it's something which started in Britain in the Italian immigrant community in the 1960s. Now, my reason for saying this is because um, I remember that in the mid-1970s, when I was a kid, the only pasta that was widely available in the UK was spaghetti. And um, in fact, a reader shared her memory, which is exactly the same as my memory of this on my blog the other day. And she said that in the 1970s, the only pasta that she could get was long spaghetti, which came, which is double the length of the spaghetti you buy today, which came wrapped in blue paper. And in fact, I remember the length and I remember the blue paper. It's interesting that today, um, many people in the UK will break spaghetti in half before cooking it. And um, this doesn't work today because, um, to my mind, it makes the spaghetti too short and it's difficult to wrap around the fork. But I think that this tradition of breaking the spaghetti came from the fact that there was this extra long spaghetti available in England, which was double the length of the spaghetti that you buy today. And I think that's where the idea of breaking the spaghetti in half before cooking it comes from. Anyway, there's a lot to be said in defence of a good spaghetti bolognese, and there's an awful lot to be said also in defence of a good ragout. So whether you prefer one or the other, or enjoy them both, that's completely fine and completely up to you. Um, If you want to try my recipe for ragù alla bolognese, it's on my blog. And in fact, I'll put a link in the show notes. So thank you very much again for listening. Thank you once again for your continued support and ratings and reviews. Um, I'll be back next week with another serving of Italian food, culture and history. So all that remains for me to say is ciao.